Uh, let's go ahead and turn to, turn to God's Word. Uh, this morning, we'll be in uh, Psalm 131, uh, chapter 131. And you know, over the summer, uh, we have walked, been walking through the Psalms of Ascent. So this is Psalms 120 through uh, 134. And not to repeat ourselves too much, but we like to remember what we have been talking about uh, thus far. Uh, remember, these are songs that the people of God would have sung the several times a year that they travel from their hometown to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, to worship God. They would have been uh, in their mind, on their lips, all around the people as they are traveling. We've seen that not only were these used uh, during physical journeys by the people of God, but they have also been used throughout time in really a, a way to encourage God's people in their spiritual journey as well. So these psalms have been used for generation upon generation uh, to reach into the soul of a believer in their journey with the Lord. So today, as we are in Psalm 131, uh, David, King David, is our author this morning. And this psalm, most scholars would agree, is... Um, in the category of a psalm of individual confidence. Individual confidence. So David here is going to talk about how he is confident in the place in which God has placed him in creation. And not only that, but he is confident in God, the one who holds him in that place. So this morning, let's go ahead and turn to uh, Psalm 131. The text will be up on your screen. It's in your bulletin. Um, as well, and I'm reading from the ESV here, Psalm 131. Only three verses, but there's a lot to unpack. So we're going to read this short psalm, and then we will pray and get into the text. A song of Ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we come before you now. There's people in this room who are all journeying through life. Father, at times they can feel like... um, We are doing it on our own, but in this psalm today we are reminded that you are our true rest and comfort, and that you are there every step of the way. And Father, we pray uh, that you would awaken our hearts to see you as close as you are to us. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So like many of your children, my kids uh, started school this uh, last week, and um, if you have kids currently in the house, or maybe you had kids before, you know the whirlwind that comes with the first week of school. Uh, not only that, we both uh, work, Allison and I both work in jobs that are uh, kind of run on the same school calendar as the kids do. So Allison teaches, and uh, I have a lot of ministry stuff we prep for for the fall. So this last week was super chaotic, but over the summer, this is the third year for our kids to be in school, over the summer, we saw this coming, right? We knew, oh man, August, whatever the date was the 6th, the 7th, was going to be chaos, right? So we want to plan in advance. 
So this was like end of May, right? We just had finished school. We're like going to Walmart, like getting like the, we know they're going to need pencils and paper and all these sorts of things, right? We're trying to prepare as well as we can. We go and we order their uniforms and get, even three days ago, we bought a jacket for the winter. We're like, one day we're going to need this and it's going to be chaos then, right? So we're trying to prepare for the future. So during this time, end of May, beginning of June, one thing we did was we went and bought shoes for the kids, Put them up in my closet up top. And last week on Sunday afternoon, we pulled those down and we put them all out and set them up for the first day of school. And I said, oh, the kids, you guys should probably try on the clothes to make sure everything's okay, right? And you can guess what happened, right, the day before school started. So Emma puts on her shoes. I'm one that when I buy shoes, I buy them big. I'm like, no, we're not outgrowing these things in three months. Like, you're getting a year out of them, Right? So I, I bought them a little big, and she puts them on. She's like, Daddy, they're way too tight. I'm like, are you serious, right? And her feet in two months, in two months, had outgrown her shoes. And this happens in all of my life, right? Like literally in our budget, we have a clothing line because it's like one child after the other after the other is just outgrowing something, right? And what... Whether you can relate directly right now to this moment that I'm experiencing, all of us in the room go through a similar pattern. We outgrow things. Things in our life change. Maybe not your shoe size or your kid's shoe size, but maybe it's your job. Your skills grow and now your work feels boring and monotonous and you move on to another job. Maybe it's you have outgrown certain hobbies in your life that you have Lose, you lose interest or you've mastered the skill or maybe your body is not uh, in the proper shape to keep up with that hobby so you can't do it anymore. You have outgrown it, right? We've all experienced this idea of outgrowing something in our life. And at times, if you're anything like me, we think this is how it works with the Lord too. That we believe at times that we kind of outgrow certain dependencies upon the Lord. That we don't really need him anymore. That we often believe we don't need the Lord. That we have outgrown our need for him. But our text today shows us that while we do grow as Christians, many of you in the room have been walking with the Lord longer than I've been alive. Right? That you've been walking with him for decade after decade and you have grown. If you said, oh, if you could see me when I was 20 It's nothing like the man or woman you see today. You've grown, and that's a good thing. But the temptation for us in our culture and time now is that we can feel like, oh, I I, kind of outgrew my need for him. But today, what the psalm shows us is our big idea for today, and this is what I think it shows, is that Christians never outgrow their need for the Lord. Christians never outgrow their need for the Lord. We're going to look at two things. First is the temptation of pride. And then the secondly, we're going to look at the result of humility. So let's look at verse uh, one first. The temptation of pride. This is the first half of verse one. He says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My, My eyes are not raised too high. So we see that David in this text begins with the recognition of the temptation that is all around him. While David, in this particular moment, is not struggling with this sin, he recognizes the lure. He names the temptation. 
he says that there is a lure to pride. The human heart being lifted up, or other translators, you could literally translate the Hebrew proud. The heart is proud. He recognizes, and I think that we should all recognize, that the human heart is prone to pride. We see this throughout time and history in the Bible, outside the Bible. In the Bible, we see that this sin of pride is the very sin that gets Adam and Eve thrown out of the garden. It is the very sin that gets Lucifer tossed out of heaven from God's presence. The proud person looks around, he compares, competes, and is never content. The eyes of the proud are raised high, is what he's saying. Believing they are self-sufficient. I don't need God anymore. I have this on my own. He goes on to explain the fruit of pride in the second half of verse 1. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So this, the sin of the first half of verse 1 is pride. The second half shows the fruit, some of the fruit that comes. And that is unruly ambition. Unruly ambition for the gain of the self. Occupying oneself with big things. Things that are self-promoting, self-centered. This is what he's talking about here. This is when we take the God-given drive that he has put in all of us to do well in our homes, in our vocations, in our, out in the public square. And instead of having God there with us, we say, God, I don't need you. I'm doing this for my own good. I am making a name for me. Eugene Peterson, you know, we're reading this book as we go through these psalms, and Eugene Peterson talks about how in every time in culture, there's difficulties that come in the way of a believer, right, for discipleship. So while we may be struggling with certain things in our culture, 100 years ago, we might look back and say, oh, those are the golden days. And the, the truth is that 100 years ago, it may not have been this sin or this sin that the culture was promoting, but it might have been something else. So every culture has these things that, that are, are normalized, Something that would have seen to be a vice or negative or a sin even by the broad culture a hundred years ago could now be seen as good and right. And these two sins that David speaks of today, pride and unruly ambition, are just that in our time. In our time, people will tell you to be strong, to be self-sufficient, that you need no one else. CEOs that have crushed the heads of other people to get to the top are praised. People who think so highly of themselves are now seen as having high self-esteem, being true to themselves, finding their true person. But this psalm helps us, I think, in our time and space to walk into the real reality where we are not self-sufficient. We do have limitations. We are not at the center of the universe, nor were we intended to strive to be there. So as we grow in life, we have the tendency sometimes to feel like we outgrew that need that we once had for the Lord. That things are going okay. And with these two sins, pride and unruly ambition, if you look below them to the heart of those two sins, what it's really getting at is that we say, I say, you say, I can be my own God. 
I have the power and the strength to be my own God. But the biblical picture here, what David shows us is that we always will be, we are today and always will be in need of the Lord. So our youngest daughter turned two over the summer and she's in full two mode, right? Like if you've had a two-year-old, it's so... The third one, I'm actually really enjoying it more, but she's like, she's wanting to do everything on her own. She's like over and over again, no matter what it is, she wants to do it on her own. And she has this little phrase. When I do, so, I start to help her with something and she wants to do it. She says, Audra, do it. Audra, do it. And she yells it at me. I'm like, okay, okay, you can, you can use your fork. Okay, go ahead. It's fine. So recently I was in my backyard and there's a, like a metal edging that's around the grass in my yard. And, um, started to rip it out and put pavers in that spot. So I ripped it all out, and the kids were out there with me, and I was starting to put the pavers down. And she was out there, and she wanted to help. She said, Audra, do it, Audra, do it. She's walking to the wheelbarrow and, like, grabbing these pavers, right? I'm like, okay, okay, yes, you can do it with me. It's fine. I'll pick them up, and then I'll kind of hand it to you, and then I'm going to put my hand underneath it so I can kind of— there were six-by-six concrete pavers. Not huge, but definitely not way too big for Audra to hold them, right? So I'm putting my hand underneath them, and she's holding it with her little hands on the outside, and she— she just kept saying, Daddy, Audra, do it. Audra, do it. She was like, back off, Dad. I got this. Like, I can do this on my own. You know, I'm trying to rationalize with my two-year-old. I'm saying, Audra, it's dangerous. It could fall. It could hurt your foot. You can't hold it on your own. And over again, Audra, do it. Audra, do it. Audra, do it. That's all she said to me. And I kept trying to explain in every way that I could, probably not as patient as I'm seeming right now to you explaining this situation. But in the end, our conversation ended with her laying on the grass. Audra, do it. Audra, do it. You know, she's grown up. It's amazing. Many of you remember when she was like a tiny infant, when she was born. She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't feed herself at all. And now she can do many of these things. But she often desires to be completely self-sufficient. Completely Like, she doesn't need my help at all. But the reality is, she does need my help. She can't hold a six-by-six paver by herself. Her little body, at her age and time, was not designed to do that. And we often act the same way towards God. We say, I can do this. I got this. God, I don't need you. Maybe it's not intentional, but unintentional, not going to him when you're in desperation, when you really do need something. Say, I am strong. I am powerful. So I ask, what, what does this look like for you in your life? I think a, a good first question for all of us to ask is, where in your life do you feel self-sufficient? Where is the place that you rarely seek the Lord? Like, oh, I, I, this part of my life, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Going further, when you strive to do great things, what is your motivation? I think it's important when we talk about ambition as a whole. We have to remember, even in this psalm, who the, who the author is of this psalm. He's not saying that you shouldn't strive to do great things, that you should not have ambition. Remember, this is King David. The very king of Israel who sat on the throne that Jesus would one day sit. He was honored and praised for the many good things that he did at the same time. 
the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. So it can't be ambition that is bad. So we have to look. I think it really comes back to the heart of your ambition. When you strive to do great things, is it to make your name great? Is it to make your bank account big? Is it to make your reputation the best? When we ask these questions about where do you feel self-sufficient or when do you not seek the Lord, our hope, my hope, is for us to get to the heart of the problem that, again, that we functionally believe that we can be our own God, that we are self-sufficient. I'm sure you can all relate to this. Spurgeon, when he preached this psalm, said that this is one of the shortest psalms to read but one of the longest to learn. So, so difficult to do this well, these three verses. So a good first step is for us to look at ourselves, to look inside, to see our insufficiency, and to admit that. Then look to God, the one who is sufficient, who holds your life in his hands. Let's go on to verses 2 and 3. This is the result of humility. Verse 2 says this. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So the first verse, he talks about the temptation to pride. The second, specifically verse 2, he's talking about the result here of humility with the Lord. And the result is contentment with the Lord. His soul is quiet and calmed, knowing he doesn't have to be self-sufficient because he serves a God who is self-sufficient. He doesn't have to make a name for himself because he has a God who has given him a name better than any name that he could make for himself, a son, a daughter of the living God. And in this text, he gives us a picture of a weaned child says that his soul is like a weaned child. You know, a weaned child is an infant who has been weaned off his mother's milk for survival. They now have some independence. They have the ability to do some things on their own. They can maybe eat some solid foods or something like that. But when a child is born, they can do nothing at all on their own. They are in desperate need of their mother. But when they are weaned, If you know a young child, like I'm going to bring it back to Audra, like Audra's age, two years old, they still go to their mother. They still go back to their father, but no longer out of desperation, but out of choice, out of voluntary love and trust. And often what he is saying, what David himself is saying, that often the Christian life is this way. When we first come to the Lord, we're kind of desperately holding on to him, thinking we're holding on, but he's actually holding on to us, right? And we're kind of, oh, I don't, even, I don't know what's going on. You have very little knowledge of what it means to be a Christian or anything. But over time, as you walk and you grow, your life changes. But like a two-year-old child who does wean from their desperate need, we are not the same way. We never outgrow that. These days, even at two, I was two years old and one month. 
one of her favorite positions, when she gets tired, she comes up to mommy or daddy and says, mommy nuggles, snuggles, is what she's saying, or daddy nuggles. She wants to come and plop her head right on our chest, right here, and just be held. That's what she wants. She voluntarily comes up to us out of love and trust. That is the picture that David gives us here of the Christian. That God is our true comfort. That He is the one who will hold you in His arms. And while Audra will grow, my six and... They do sometimes. My six and seven, seven and eight-year-old generally don't jump on our lap like this. And I'm sure you don't, as adults, jump on your parents' lap. We do outgrow that. Audra will outgrow this stage. But what David is saying here, his soul is like a weaned child that has not outgrown it. We will not outgrow this need for, our, for the Lord's care and comfort. And Jesus himself gives us the picture of a child as a model for the Christian faith. In Mark 10, he says this, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus shows us that dependence is not a sign of weakness, but it is a sign of health in the Christian life. That we were designed to need the Lord. It's not something that you will outgrow. He concludes this psalm in verse 3 as a call to the congregation. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So David here, he calls the congregation to follow the Lord as he had. You know, King David, he, he foreshadows the king of God's people, the true king of God's people, Jesus Christ, God's very son, who would humble himself enough to pay for our pride and our unruly ambition. Jesus would succeed David in his humility by laying his life down. And the thing is that you and me, we can say, I'm going to try to lean on the Lord here. We're all, we're all going to fail, right? Because... I'm sure tomorrow I will forget this, like many of us in the room, and we'll just continue to believe that I don't need God in this certain area. So here, the text leaves us with our hope, not in us trying to be better. I'm not going to be prideful. I'm not going to have unruly ambition. I, I, I can do it. It's good to strive for those things. At the same time, our hope, David does this for us, our hope is not there. Our hope is not trying to be humble, but in relying on the truly humble one in Jesus Christ himself. This is why he concludes the psalm, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, not until you outgrow it, from this time forth and forevermore. I'm going to conclude with this illustration that Spurgeon had in his sermon on this very text. He says this, see how your child trusts you. He comes to you and cries, Please, Father, I have a thorn in my finger. Or, Please, Father, I have lost my handkerchief. No matter what his trials are, the child brings them all to the father or mother. And you, as a father or mother, turn from your business and attend to him. You say, My dear, I will see to you immediately. Your love 
for your little boy. And therefore, his little concerns are not too little for you. And God, in the same way, who gave us to be called the sons of God, teaches us to cry out in the same way and leads us in that confidence to go to him with each day's burdens and cares. So church for us, that is the call here, to look to the Lord, the one where your true hope is. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for relieving us of the pressure to be self-sufficient, to be all-powerful, knowing that you are self-sufficient and you are the one that holds us in your hands. Father, at times we still do believe that we can do all things on our own. And Father, we pray you continue to shake that from us. That each day we would be reminded of our reliance upon you, that that is not a bad thing, but it is actually how we are made to live, to look to you in dependence. Father, as we come to this, your table, we do pray that you would be here with us, moving, nourishing us. God, we thank you for uh, this morning and this meal we are about to share. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.